0: So grateful to be able to connect and commune with you, with our own higher Holy Spirit self on this beautiful fall day, this autumn day. Here in Vermont, the leaves are turning. We're having a little bit of Indian summer. It's been super dry. A little bit of rain and drizzle just recently. We are grateful for the rain we are. Uh, the water has run out of the well here in the house, the new house I'm in, and we're, we're figuring it out. That's life. What are you going to do? That's life. So I'm grateful and I'm thankful for this opportunity to join together and remember what's real and what's true. And let's begin with a blessing hand on our heart we are grateful and thankful that there is an infinite love a pure intelligence of wisdom and a mighty mighty power that we are part of and there is no other power there is just the one power of love and we're part of it it's part of us we are grateful that the love of god is part of our life and being Now and forever. We are grateful to relinquish any sense of regret or resentment, hurt, fear, doubt, or worry, blame, or shame. We're grateful and thankful to give ourselves over to the infinite love, the pure intelligence, and wisdom that we already are. We are allowing ourselves to have a healing and a transformation right now in this very moment. We're grateful to relinquish the habits and patterns and beliefs of chaos that generate the chaos in our emotional body and in our physical body and in our mental body. We're calling for a mighty, mighty healing. We're accepting it, allowing it, and sharing the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah, it's so interesting. So I just finished my Stop Playing Small retreat, which was online this time. And what I love is when I do these retreats, as with the classes like Finding Freedom and Masterful Living, what I love is when there's a practical application of the tools and people actually take time to not just read about it but to think about it contemplate it and really look at it deeply especially when we gather together with other like-minded souls who gather for the purpose of true transformation true transcendence true alchemy right turning the lead and the gold into gold turning the coal into diamonds, it occurs in the most miraculous ways because we put spirit in charge. And it's so uplifting and so fulfilling, so heartening that we can do this, that we have what it takes. Because for so long, I didn't think I had what it took. I felt something was missing. And I couldn't figure out how to have a healing until I put Spirit fully in charge and then the miraculous began to occur. But it did require me to do some real work. So doing the real work is not for everybody, but that is my favorite thing to do, to immerse ourselves in these activities and really go for it. It's tremendous what can occur. And uh, I have enjoyed so much dipping into deeply these laws of chaos. So we did the four laws of chaos and I'm just going to recap them here for you now for your listening pleasure. (laughs) So uh, the first law is that Everybody has different versions of the truth. That's the first chaotic law. And the second law of chaos is that everyone must sin. Everyone's a sinner and therefore deserves attack and death. Good golly, Miss Molly. Right? And then the third law of chaos, I'll basically sum up as we know better than God. God is mistaken. And so we have to step in and usurp God's authority. And then the fourth law of chaos is that everything we have, we've taken. We've stolen it from somebody else. In order for us to win, somebody else has to lose. That's the fourth law of chaos. And you can see how these beliefs are so prevalent in our life, and they're operating all the time, and they're continuously leaving us in a state of chaos, constantly regenerating the feelings of chaos. And so then he talks about a final principle, Jesus does, and we're in chapter 23, section 2, The Laws of Chaos, and by now we are down to about paragraph 12. And... uh, And one of the things he talks about in that fourth law of chaos is that, you know, where there's winners and losers, is that we're innocent because we only attack in self-defense. So we're innocent. But what he teaches us in the workbook is that an attack is a secret justification I'm sorry, self-defense is a secret justification for our desire to attack. So we attack in self-defense. And remember, everybody's a sinner. So everybody deserves punishment, not support, not correction, but punishment. And of course, what's the ultimate punishment? It's death. What a nice end of the story, huh? <laughs> so now let's look at uh, t- having just talked about the um, enemy over which we must prevail. And the only way we can win is to take what they have. Uh, and that uh, essentially it, it justifies death in this world. He says in paragraph 12, But what is it you want that needs his death, our brothers and sisters? What is it we want that needs their death? Can you be sure your murderous attack is justified unless you know what it's for? And here a final principle of chaos comes to the rescue. It holds there is a substitute for love, this is the magic that will cure all of your pain, the missing factor in your madness that makes it sane. Harry's rhyming. This is the reason you why you must attack. Here is what makes your vengeance justified. Behold, unveiled the ego's secret gift, torn from your brother's body, hidden there in malice and in hatred. For the one to whom the gift belongs. He would deprive you of the secret ingredient that would give meaning to your life. The substitute for love, born of your enmity to your brother, must be salvation. All right, let's read that again because this is critical. The substitute for love, right? That's the specialness. Born of your enmity, which is really your hatred to your brother, must be salvation. Hmm. It has no substitute, and there is only one. And all your relationships have but the purpose of seizing it and making it your own. Never is your possession made complete. And never will your brother cease his attack on you for what you stole. Nor will God end his vengeance upon both. For in his madness, God's madness, God must have this substitute for love and kill you both. So in other words, that God would be so angry about this specialness, this substitute for love, that we would all be punished with death. You who believe you walk in sanity with feet on solid ground and through a world where meaning can be found, there he's rhyming again, these are the laws on which your sanity appears to rest. These are the principles which make the ground beneath your feet Seem solid. And it is here you look for meaning. These are the laws you made for your salvation. They hold in place the substitute for heaven which you prefer. This is their purpose. They were made for this. There is no point in asking what they mean, that is apparent. The means of madness must be insane. Are you as certain that you realize the goal is madness? So here's here's a way to look at it. And this is one of the reasons why I've taken so much time on these laws of chaos. This is the fifth episode on these laws of chaos. Because... If we can recognize when we are buying into them and reaffirming them, reinvesting in them, and instead go the other way, it's going to be a huge help to us. So we don't have our own versions of the truth. Nobody does. Truth is the same for everyone because we're all one. We're all part of God. There cannot be conflicting truths. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. But, you see, the ego is a surface thought system. So, when we buy into the ego thought system... We only look skin deep, we could say. We only look at the surface. We don't look deeply into it. We don't try to prove that it's true or not true. We just try to gather evidence to support it, which is entirely different from proving something. This is why in my Finding Freedom Boot Camp class and in Masterful Living, my year-long course, I talk about proving God, proving God. How spirit works in our lives so that we're not mistaken and deluded and diverted anymore. One of the things that the course talks about is we can spend huge amounts of our time investing in roads to enlightenment that are going to be the very long, long way around. I remember when I was first living in New York and I was a a, a teenager and um, taking taxis. I didn't know my way around New York. And people coming to and from the airport for the first time, they don't know their way around. And different routes are going to be better for you at different times of day. And of course, now we all have. Ways and Google Maps and things like that, but we didn't back then. So you had to trust that the driver wasn't going to add an extra 10 miles or 20 miles to the trip, you know, or extra time by picking a slower route or whatever. And so we can use our time ineffectively. Uh, and Jesus tells us time can be wasted and it can also waste Because if we go long, long roads of gathering information, no matter how much information we have on a spiritual level, it will not heal us. Even though it seems like, well, I'm doing the work at the level of the mind, I'm gathering all this information at the level of the mind, that's where healing happens. Right. But information doesn't heal. Real healing is realizations of truth. Real healing is when we lay the burdens down of our resentments and our regrets and the guilt and the blame and the shame and the anxiety, the worry, the doubt, the jealousies, the sense of inadequacies, all of these things. And what is the information that we could ever, ever gather that would help us to do those things. This is why my programs are designed to do this work, to roll up our spiritual sleeves and do this work for those who really are interested in the liberation because we just can't get it from reading and studying. David Hoffmeister and I have had multiple conversations about this where we talk about Uh, Spiritual awakening, spiritual growth and development is 99% in our practice and 1% in study. So applying this and to realize that our belief that everyone's a sinner, everyone should be punished rather than corrected and that the ultimate punishment is death, we we may not consciously be thinking about it, but I have found it so beneficial to be willing to really look at who in the world, in my world or my view of the world, whether they're a politician on television, or whether they're somebody who was in my high school, or whomever, wherever, that I am thinking deserves to be punished. This is my own death wish. This is my own death wish. And I can actually say, no, let's make a vote for correction. And while, oh, what happened in high school, it's too late to correct that now. And I don't even know how to reach those people now or talk with them now on a physical level, but I can connect with them on a spiritual level because I'm one with them and we share the same mind. So you can do what I have done, which is to get still, to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit Self and the angels and get into a meditative state and then say, okay, can you please... Help me connect to the higher Holy Spirit self of Dave. I'd like to let Dave know, I'm sorry that I did whatever I did. So you can actually have that connection and conversation. It's part of a track of self-forgiveness. And it's really potent and powerful Because everything really is at the level of the mind. It's not unavailable to us. We have tremendous opportunity for healing. And the only requirement is our willingness. You don't have to get it right. You don't have to be an expert. And you don't have to have a guide. I like to do classes and things like I'm doing... um, I've been doing some meditation immersions And I've been uh, with kundalini meditations In fact, I'm offering right now my uh, meditation challenge My 40-day meditation challenge It's called the Kirtan Kriya 40-day meditation challenge You can find it at jenniferhadley.com And uh, you can probably also find stuff about it at uh, Facebook on the Living A Course in Miracles Facebook group or any of my pages. So I've been offering this. It's free. It's totally free. Um, I like to, I love to offer things for free, simple practices that we can do that really work. And it's so wonderful because we've got all these people, course, Miracle students and other folks who are starting to do this simple meditation and get results. My students have been getting results with it for a year now. And, and so now I'm offering it out to the bigger community and, um, uh, I started to say, so I, I a few years ago I began studying Kundalini Yoga to become a teacher of it so I could use it on my retreats and things like that. And now Spirit's guiding me to do these um, things like this 40-day meditation challenge because there's lots of people in the world they've got a lot of stress and anxiety they're looking for simple practices and while... I can help you with that a whole lot if you come into Finding Freedom Boot Camp or Masterful Living. Masterful Living's closed right now. Won't open. Uh, we won't start till January. But this is a free thing that people can do. So I like to offer free things like this podcast that really support people. In undoing these beliefs. Because then it's easy to see. Oh there's the law of chaos. uh, Right there. That newscaster is talking about punishing somebody. Or that. What do they call them? Commentators? Something like that. Um, On those news shows. They're not really reporting the news sometimes. They're just mostly commenting on it. They have this idea that somebody should be punished. Well. If we buy into that, which it can be very easy to do, then we're buying into this law of chaos and it doesn't help us. And if we're playing the game to win rather than to enjoy it and to succeed through that enjoyment, if we're really intending to defeat other people in the game, is that necessary? Is that necessary? As I was sharing last week, um... I think it was in the week before uh, that in my family, we love to play board games. And if I talked about, because uh, I do when I talk about playing to enjoy the game versus to win the game, they're like, yeah, we're playing to win. We're playing to win. But that's okay. It's okay. You know, it's to be a teacher of God, it's not trying to convince anyone ever. I'm not right, they're not wrong. And it's important also to just lay it out there without convincing, without an argument. Just lay it out there and see who buys it. What's so helpful to us is to be able to see when we're buying into these laws of chaos and reinforcing them so we can pull back and say, wait a minute, Nobody deserves to be punished. Everybody deserves to be corrected. There's compassion and there's correction offered. Because when people do things that are unkind and cruel and selfish and things like that, they're not in their right mind. So the greatest gift that we can give to our Creator and to all humanity is to help people make corrections. Then healing occurs. Redemption occurs. People can be redeemed in their own mind. I love redemption stories. I always have. And I know that this is a theme of my life, that I have redeemed myself, and I meet so many people who feel unworthy of love, unworthy of kindness even, unworthy of all kinds of good things, and they can be redeemed in their own mind. This is what my, my ministry is really about. That's what these classes are all about. And so in this section here, we can really get clear about what these laws are when they're operating and interrupt those thought patterns because we're not interested in madness. They lead to absolute madness. And this is what we've seen in our world. And Jesus goes on to say, no one wants madness, nor does anyone cling to his madness, if he sees that this is what it is. What protects madness is the belief that it's true. The belief that these laws of chaos are actually true. Everyone's a sinner, deserves to be punished by death. And if it is the truth, then must its opposite, which was the truth before, be madness now. Such a reversal completely turned around with madness, sanity, illusions, true, attack, a kindness, hatred, love, love. And murder benediction is the goal the laws of chaos serve. Opposite world. That's the purpose of the laws of chaos. To make everything appear opposite from what it is. And from what we want. So clarity, clarity, clarity. And again, we can't get clarity just from reading. We have to really examine it with our mind. Hold it up to uh, the light of our life and live and learn and uh, make new choices that's how the healing occurs oh my gosh it's time for me to take a break I'm Jennifer Hadley you're listening to A Course in Miracles on Unity Online Radio where we're living the love we're walking the talk and I'll be right back Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. And welcome back. Yay. Yay for us. We're doing it. (laughs) So, oh, I am just loving, I'm sorry to say the same thing again, but I am loving going over this. It is just so clear and so helpful. So... Uh, It's part of my spiritual practice too To be able to do this deeper dive It's just so fun And even though it seems like you're not here with me right now I do feel you And and I love that connection So what he's saying here is Because it's a little I think it's a little challenging maybe to hear some of this stuff read Which is why I break it down so minutely um, but he's basically saying that uh, if we believe these laws of chaos, and we're, they're operating in our life all the time, right? Winners and losers. We don't even have a word that really works for a situation where maybe there's no winner, there's no loser. We're just all enjoying playing the game. Uh, participant. And that's what I use for the folks in my classes. I call them participants. And uh, I'm a participant too. <laughs> and so, but he's saying here that the reversal uh, of truth is in these laws of chaos. And they help us to reverse everything else in our lives. So that... Madness becomes sanity. Illusions become true. Attack becomes a kindness. Hatred becomes love. And murder becomes a benediction. And so we can see how that plays out, where attacking someone would be justified, and therefore it would be some kind of crazy kindness to them. I think of that song, or that song? Oh, who sang that song? Can't think of it right now. I can see his face. Nick, low. You gotta be cruel to be kind. God, I can't sing it right now, but it's in my head. <laughs> I was just thinking about that last week and the week before that song. Just thinking, oh, gotta be cruel to be kind. Hmm, How does that work? But we can relate to it. We can relate to it. Like in a relationship, uh, sometimes you have to break up with somebody and just end it because the relationship is a mess and it's dysfunctional. And you, so you could say that's being cruel in order to be kind. So Jesus says now in paragraph 16, And yet, how can it be that laws like these can be believed? What? How can they believed people... There is a strange device that makes it possible. Aha! Nor is it unfamiliar, this strange device. We have seen how it appears to function many times before. In truth, it does not function. Yet, in dreams, where only shadows play the major roles, it seems most powerful. No law of chaos could compel belief but for the emphasis on form and disregard of content. No one who thinks that one of these laws is true sees what it says. Some forms it takes seem to have meaning, and that is all. So he's a little cryptic here. So how can some forms of murder not mean death? What? Can an attack in any form be love? Hmm? What form of condemnation is a blessing? Now we're on a game show. Who makes his Savior powerless and finds salvation? Let not the form of the attack on him deceive you. You cannot seek to harm him and be saved. Right? So remember, when we are defending ourselves, it's because we have a secret desire to attack. And our attack is justified. And so this is where Jesus is saying, You cannot seek to harm him and be saved. But if we're defending ourselves, we will believe that that's how we get saved. He says, Who can find safety from attack by turning on himself? It's a riddle. Riddle me this. How can it matter what the form this madness takes? It is a judgment that defeats itself, condemning what it says it wants to save. Be not deceived when madness takes a form you think is lovely. What is intent on your destruction is not your friend. Okay, I'm going to make it super plain here. I know many people who wish for politicians to be punished. Punished because they don't like what they did. They feel they're lying and deceitful and they take advantage and blah, blah, blah. And trust me, as we are right now, as as this is being broadcast so close to the election... Uh, I can share with you that I remember during the 2012 election, I probably have mentioned this before, that I had one person calling me for a counseling session because they said uh, if Obama wins this election, there's no hope for the children of America. That It's just they're going to be left behind. There's no question about it. We just we have to do everything we can to make sure obama is not reelected it's just it's disastrous for the children of the country and then virtually on the other line you know another student saying if mitt romney wins if barack doesn't win then it's disastrous for the people of the country and we'll never recover from it two course miracle students Same concern, different views, different projections. And that's how life is. That's absolutely how life is. Not being critical of it, but just saying, hey, this is what happens when we're ego-identified. Been there, done that. So if you're looking at the world and you're thinking, this one should be punished, this is a disaster, That's where you can correct your mind because we can't make this world real. And we also can't be so delusional that we not recognize we are having a human experience. So for me, the practice is to work at the level of the mind, to know the truth, remember the truth and keep my mind peaceful, energizing the results that I'd like. In a very real sense, I don't care who the president is as long as we live in a world of peace and harmony where everyone is cared for, everyone is important, everyone is respected, everyone is loved and nurtured and valued, Why would I care who the president is if we can have all of these things, right? So we vote for a president because of their values and their policy possibilities. And so, but if we're looking at, if we don't get the candidate we want, then we're going to hell in a handbasket. That's not a view to be energized. That is not. Helpful to anyone. So, because if you apply that to everything in your life, that if we don't go to the health food restaurant, if we go to the Italian restaurant, our life is going to be hell. You know, our, our, the dinner will make us sick. We, if you eat that, then no. We just can't live in that kind of duality. It's not healthful. It's not helpful. It is chaotic. So, let's live for love. So he says here to us... I'm just going to say this again. This is paragraph 14. No one wants madness, nor does anyone cling to his madness. If he sees... That this is what it is. The thing is, we don't know that it's madness. We're too close to it. We're too wrapped up in it. He says, What protects madness is the belief that it's true. You see, it's a belief that it's true. It's not true, it's a belief that it's true. And he says, uh, going down, jumping a bit here, because I already read that next part. These are the means by which the laws of God appear to be reversed. Here do the laws of sin appear to hold love captive and let sin go free. Remember, if if we believe that sinners everybody's a sinner and everyone should be punished, yeah. Here do the laws of sin appear to hold love captive. And let sin go free. These do not seem to be the goals of chaos, for by the great reversal, they appear to be the laws of order. You see how everything is opposite day. So the idea that everyone's a sinner, everyone should be punished, and by death, doesn't seem chaotic, seems clear. Look, everyone dies. Because they're sinners and they're being punished. Yep, who's the punisher? God, of course. (laughs) Okay, I see. That's how it is. Chaos is lawlessness and has no laws. To be believed, its seeming laws must be perceived as real. Their goal of madness must be seen as sanity. So me saying, hey, this is my truth. This is my version of the truth. Seems like sanity in our world, doesn't it? It seems like, oh yeah, she can have her own truth. Yeah, you go girl, you have your own truth. And But we could also step back and say, well, that's not really what she means. Is it or isn't it? This is the kind of insanity that Jesus is talking about here. There's a wonderful movie. It's now an old movie from the 80s called Broadcast News. It was a big hit, I think, when it came out. And um, it's directed by and written by one of my favorites, uh, James L. Brooks, who also did all the Homer Simpson stuff, uh, really, uh, he did "Terms of Endearment." Great writer and director, one of my favorites. And in the broadcast news, um, there is a, a scene where Aaron, the newscaster, he is telling uh, the uh, Albert Brooks is the actor. He's telling the Holly Hunter character that the William Hurt character might just be the devil. And uh, she says, oh, that's crazy. And he says, no, really, think about it. Because if you were the devil, wouldn't it be a perfect plan to start degrading people's standards just bit by bit and convincing everybody that they're really in sales? And uh, But it's that... Convincing people to degrade their standards bit by bit wouldn't that be the work of the devil? And it, it to me that just uh, when he when I first heard him give this speech he gives to her, I thought, oh my god, it's brilliant, and it's so true. It's so true that would be the devilish thing to do is to support people in degrading their grasp of the truth and degrading their standards of love and what's true and not true. So that's what these laws of chaos are helping us to recognize where we've done that and where we can stop. And he says here, and now we're in paragraph 15, uh, he says... Chaos is lawlessness and has no laws. To be believed, its seeming laws must be perceived as real. Their goal of madness must be seen as sanity. And fear, with ashen lips and sightless eyes, blinded and terrible to look upon, is lifted to the throne of love, its dying conqueror, its substitute, the savior from salvation, How lovely do the laws of fear make death appear, right? If we're living in fear, death begins to appear as being an out. It seems to be a remedy. He says, give thanks unto the hero on love's throne who saved the Son of God for fear and death. I'm going to jump down a bit here to paragraph 19, Where he says, there is no life outside of heaven. Where God created life, there must be life. There life must be. (laughs) In any state apart from heaven, life is illusion. In any state apart from heaven, life is illusion. At best, it seems like life. At worst, like death. Have you ever felt that your life was a living death? I felt that way. I know a lot of people who felt that way. He says, Yet both are judgments on what is not life, equal in their inaccuracy and lack of meaning. Life not in heaven is impossible, and what is not in heaven is not anywhere. Outside of heaven, only the conflict of illusion stands senseless. Impossible, and beyond all reason, and yet perceived as an eternal barrier to heaven. Illusions are but forms. Their content is never true. Remember that in the fear and conflict section, Jesus tells us all thought produces form at some level. And he says here, Illusions are but forms, their content is never true. So our thoughts are producing the illusion which is form and it's never true. Form is also our emotions, it's also also our thoughts, thoughts, feelings and our experiences here in the illusion. And then he says the laws of chaos govern all illusions. This is paragraph 20 now. Their forms conflict, making it seem quite possible to value them above the others. (laughs) Yet each one rests as surely on the belief the laws of chaos are the laws of order as do the others. Thinking about winners and losers, that in order for there to be a winner, they have to take from the losers. So in order to be a winner in this world, everything you have, you've taken. Doesn't it sound like these are just fundamental laws of this world, right? They are not, but we believe that they are. Each one upholds these laws completely, offering a certain witness that these laws are true. The seeming gentler forms of the attack are no less certain in their witnessing or their results. Certain it is illusions will bring fear because of the beliefs that they imply not for their form. And lack of faith in love in any form attests to chaos as reality. So For me, this is one of the reasons why I over and over and over and over and over again, just like uh, constantly I'm saying, place your faith in love. Place your faith in love. Love is the answer. Love is the healer. Love is the antidote to everything. Teach only love for that is what you are. So... It's The truth is what we are as well. So love is truth. Truth is love. So this is what sets us free. Because when we're aligned with love, when we're aligned with truth, our mind is free already. And what is there to heal but the illusion that there's a lack of love? What is there to heal besides that? That is what there is to heal. So you can see how this is such a simple way to begin to look at the world that's deeply healing. It's one of the reasons why my ministry is entitled The Power of Love Ministry. Because love is the healer. Love is the thing that transforms, renews, and restores Because it is our true identity. It's like if there's a drought, we're having a drought here in Vermont, Uh, if there's a drought, the answer is water. And when there's anger and hatred, there's lack of love. Just like in a drought, there's lack of water. So the antidote is the love, just as the antidote to the drought, is the water. And there's no other substitute for it. What can you substitute for water? Right? It may be other forms of liquid that contain water. But you can't grow trees without water. You can't grow people without love. You can't grow healthy, happy people without love. So, he says here, now in 21, From the belief in sin, the faith in chaos must follow. So, he he talks about how uh, trust is the number one characteristic of God's teachers, right? That's chapter 4 in the manual for teachers. And trust is the number one characteristic of God's teachers. And here... He's talking about, from the belief in sin, the faith in chaos must follow. So I talk about a lot, uh, because it was so healing and helpful to me to have this realization of truth, that we're always placing our faith and trust in something in each and every moment, So let's, if we're not happy, if we're not harmonious, if we're not peaceful, we must have placed our trust and faith in something that's not actually true. And I used to tell myself, look for the lie when I didn't feel happy and harmonious. Look for the lie. What are you telling yourself? What are you believing that's not true? So here he talks about from the belief in sin, the faith in chaos must follow. You see, when we're believing something that's not true, that's where we've placed our faith. And this goes back to that third law of chaos, that, that God can be wrong. And that then we're lost. We're lost. Because we have to be in charge. So if we place our faith in a belief in sin, we're lost. right? Because it's not true. Faith in chaos follows choosing to believe in sin. So when you have a sense that you'd like to punish somebody or see them be punished, you are placing your faith in chaos because you're placing your belief in sin. You wouldn't want to punish somebody who hadn't sinned, right? So if you're thinking somebody should be punished for what they've done, You must be thinking that what they did was a sin. Really pay attention to this because this is one of the most insidious forms of ego, thought, and belief that people deserve to be punished. (sighs) I wish we could teach this to little kids. I do, I do, I do. And I know that there are people who do that but imagine if we had all learned this when we were little kids. So if you have grandchildren, can you teach it to them? If you have children, can you teach these little simple principles? I know that there are wonderful people who have written books for children. and um, But it is about getting the parents on board as well. I did a... Um, an episode uh, where we talked a lot about parenting with Robert Holden. I did that back in, I think, 2014, a long time ago. (laughs) So many hundreds of episodes ago, I did that one with Robert Holden, but you can find it in the archive. And it may be so long ago, it might not be in the main uh, podcast. There are two. There's A Course in Miracles and A Course in Miracles Archive. Well, I'd like to take what little time I have left to let you know my Finding Freedom Boot Camp uh, starts in just a couple weeks. Now is the time to check it out. Book an exploratory call with one of the spiritual counselors if you're interested. This, this is the thing for us right now, to work at the level of the mind. Come and do that with me. Now is the time. I really... This is one of the best things I've got going, and I'm offering it to you, making it clear. Thank you to all the donors. I love you. And hand on our heart, we are grateful and thankful for the love of God that shines in us eternally. We choose truth. We share the benefits with all. We let it be, and so it is. Amen, amen, amen.